2024, wonderful listeners. I am so glad you are here. I'm looking forward to a year filled with many great reads, and I wish the same for you. I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases, and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group, which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Do you love to be in the know about upcoming books? Kelly Hooker of At Kelly Hook Reads Books and I do too. We couldn't find a comprehensive list of titles all in one place, so we made one ourselves, and now we're sharing it with you. Our literary lookbook is a list of 182 books releasing from January to May 2024, curated for our communities. The link to buy it is in my show notes. Today I am chatting with Ashley Elston about First Lie Wins. If you are a thriller reader or love mysteries, then this book is for you. I picked it up and didn't put it down until I was finished. It is so clever, such a page turner, and it is a must read for those who like well-plotted stories. Ashley worked for many years as a wedding photographer before turning her hand to writing. She lives in Louisiana with her husband and three sons. Ashley has written six young adult novels, and First Light Wins is her adult debut. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Ashley. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm great as well. And I'm thrilled to pieces that we are chatting because I read your book recently and just absolutely adored it. And I have so many questions. So thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Gosh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad that you liked the book. I did. I mentioned to you before we started recording that thrillers can be a little tricky and there are a lot of them out there. And to find one like yours that is unique and has all these great twists and turns that I didn't see coming and just the character development, all of it, I just thought it was a huge winner. And I know it's going to resonate with so many people. Gosh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, before we dive into my questions, would you give me a quick synopsis of First Line Wins? Yeah, sure. So First Line Wins follows a woman who has worked for her mysterious employer under various aliases for the last 10 years. Uh, Then past mistakes begin to catch up with her. And she knows there's more on the line than she originally thought. So she's got to use her wits to stay one step ahead of her while still making sure there's a future in front of her. 
That's a good synopsis because you have to be careful with this one. You don't want anything to be spoiled and there's a lot that could be spoiled. It is. It's everybody's like, what's it about? And I'm like, well, I can't tell you. <laughs> I mean, without, exactly. I mean, I just, it, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just feel like, you know, it's very easily spoiled. I posted about it recently on Instagram and I also included it as one of my Buzz Reads picks. I write for a magazine here in Houston and I pick five books a month. And both times I was like, okay, I have to be really careful what I say. And then I'm like, you should go in blind. And I'm like, we well, can't go in totally blind because I've just written a little bit about it. But you know, you should go in as blind as you can because you just don't want anything to be spoiled because that's part of the joy of the book. I agree. And thank you for that. But I, do, I agree. And they were trying to write the back copy. And I'm like, well, even that little bit kind of gives something away. But I mean, I get we have to say something. So yeah, that is it's a fine line. You could just write really large, read this book on the back. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea for this one? Well, you know, this it was kind of not my normal way. I'd written six, I've written six YA books, and four of them are, you know, mystery thrillers, and two of them are these kind of goofy little rom coms that I, you know, had fun with. And, you know, it's kind of always like, well, what's next? And then I had this. I had this scene in my head and I, that's the only way I can describe it. I, I could see it and it's, you know, a group of people sitting around a dinner table and it was just, I could see it clear as day. And so then I started really thinking about that. And then the conversation that they would have kind of started coming to me. And so I just, I just wrote it. I wrote the scene like I, like I pictured it and I wrote the dialogue like I, in my mind, heard it. And I had this finished scene and I was like, okay. Well, I mean, so what do I do with this now? And I was like, well, I guess, well, what if, what if they did this next? And, and then I wrote that. And then I thought, well, okay, well, that's good so far. I mean, well, what if they do this next? And I just sort of what if my way into this. And then I was like, okay, I, I think this may be my next story. And so then it was really time to sort of sit down and kind of wrap my head around what I was trying to do. But what's, I think, kind of interesting, because the end of this book changed a number of times before I finally felt like it was right. But the opening chapter is almost exactly word for word how I wrote it that very first time. And it is that is the opening scene of the book is that dinner party scene. I love that. And I love that's the first scene that came to you for the story. Yes. And I yeah, I just I don't really know where it came from. I just I just what ifed it. I don't know. That's so fascinating. And I'm always curious about a writer's process, how they get a book down. But I'm particularly curious in situations like this, and you answered a little bit of that a minute ago with the ending of the book changing. But did you sit down after you had these scenes and plot it all out? Or did you literally just keep writing and then these twists and turns eventually happen and you have to make sure you've tied them all together? This was very much just, I just kept writing. And I, I you know, obviously had to get to a certain point where I'm like, okay, well, this has to kind of make sense and I have to have a clear path. And, you know, what am I trying to do? But, but for a good chunk, I just kept writing. And then I was like, well, I probably should maybe show how she got her start in this world. And so then I kind of started the flashbacks and I wasn't 100% sure if they were actually going to make the book where I was just sort of writing them for myself so that I could sort of in my mind better understand my character. But then I really, I really liked those too. And so then it was like, okay, well, so maybe I'll include these flashbacks. And then I kind of kept writing and I am very visual. Uh, I was a photographer for years. And so I'm, you know, I get the roll of craft paper out and I make all the sticky notes and I move everything around. And so the first draft, needless to say, was very, very rough. It was just rough because I just had all of these scenes. And then I was like, okay, well, now we've got to make this make sense. And I don't recommend this process. It's not a great process, but it 
it is my process. And so it comes with a lot of editing after that first draft is finished. Well, I always say, whatever your process is, if it works, just keep doing it. It doesn't really matter if it varies from anyone else's. As long as it works for you, then that must be what you should keep doing. Yeah, well, I probably could have saved myself a lot of headache had I tried to plot it out. But then I also think, I don't know if some of those magic moments happen if you try to plot them out in advance, because some of that fun is just stumbling into it in a, in a weird way. So it is what it is. That's how it works for me. So I kind of just go with it. Exactly. And I think you're right that you may be more creative if you're stumbling around because you come up with different ideas that you might not if you were sitting down saying, okay, let me lay this all out from beginning to end. Yes, no, absolutely. Because I wouldn't have, you just wouldn't have thought of that if I'm just sitting there looking at a piece of paper like, okay, well, these are the steps A, B, C, D. This is what they're going to do in this order. And my brain just doesn't work like that. And what about including enough clues that the reader gets to the end and thinks, of course, why didn't I see that coming? Versus, oh my gosh, you know, from page 10, I knew it was so-and-so or I knew this was going to happen. Was that hard to have just enough clues that it makes sense, but not so many clues that people are annoyed? To me, that is the hardest part because it's like, I know what's in my head. So it's like, you know, am I giving away too much? Am I giving away too little? You don't want to completely blindside your reader because I, you know, I don't think it's fair if they don't have a chance to figure it out. They should be able to go back and find those moments like, okay, maybe if I would have put this and this together, I would have gotten there. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I figured out, you know, this before the reveal. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, you know, you're a savvy reader. Like, I'm, I'm good with that. But you don't want it so easy that, you know, it's sort of the thrill of it's gone. And I tend to not give away enough on my first go around. And then when I have, you know, trusted readers that are reading drafts, and if they're just very confused, and they're like, you know, I kind of, that's my gauge to like, okay, well, it's not enough. They're not getting it. I need to put a little bit more in. And so then I start adding back in, you know, kind of based off of that feedback. That makes sense. And I do agree. I read a ton of thrillers. So I think that I am more likely to figure stuff out quicker sometimes than other people just because I've read so many of them. And my brain just kind of works that way. It's not like I'm sitting there thinking I want to figure it out, but my brain is just ping-ponging around the whole time I'm reading. But I do get frustrated if from the very beginning or 50 pages in, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. Right. It's one thing to figure it out 20 pages before, 30 pages before, but if it's the entire book, it loses the joy of reading it for me. I agree. And I think that some of what I say when kind of where the magic happens is sort of if I'm not 100% sure where I'm going, it's almost sort of a surprise to me as well um, as the writer. And so, you know, I think that sort of helps me a little bit, kind of keep keep it a little bit, I don't know, from being too predictable because I myself am not sure where I'm going. So like, I don't know how you could be because I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I go clean that up some, but I, you know, and then I also I try to look at something backwards. Like if I want the end to be this reveal, you know, what's the most obvious way to get to that? Okay, well, I don't want to do that. So, so what would be a backdoor way of getting to that? And, you know, to me, it's kind of fun to, to almost like think it through a little bit backwards, if that makes any sense. It does kind of unpack it almost. Yes, yes. Well, identity plays a big role in your book. Obviously, no spoilers. But why did you want to focus on that theme? I just, I don't know. I think it's I don't know. I, it's so fascinating to me. And I think there's so many different, especially now with like social media, I think, you know, identity can be seen in a lot of different ways, even if you're not even trying. I mean, like, what is your social media identity? You know, everybody wants their house to look 
perfect in every picture and their family to be were so great. And, you know, but, you know, it's not true. I mean, everybody knows it's not true. And I just don't know. I'm just sort of fascinated with the idea of like, who are you really? Or who do people see you as? And, you know, how different are those two things? I think identity can be tricky. And some people are very private and they want to keep their identity to themselves. And other people want to just send everything out into the world. And as you said, often look picture perfect. And so it is even trickier than it used to be, I think, the concept of identity. Oh, I definitely. I totally agree. And then, and then what you think you're putting out, you know, is maybe authentic. And then people are like, well, that's not really how that is. I mean, like, it's just, you know, it's just so complicated, I think. And so I don't know, I'm just fascinated with the idea of, of that. I can see that. It was very interesting to explore it in your story. Glad that worked. So you mentioned the flashbacks, which I was going to ask you about. So they were there from the beginning, because I was curious if that was something that you had done always, or if that was something you added in later to tell more of Evie's story, how that came about. They were there, but like I said, I kind of intended, I didn't know that they were going to make the story. I I did them sort of for myself, because that's the best way for me to kind of get to know one of my characters is, you know, sort of write an earlier time of their life or, you know, write a scene that I don't necessarily need, but maybe important in some way. But then I, you know, if I fall in love with it, I'm like, okay, well, let me figure out how it works. And then, and then, then I really did kind of lean into it because I was like, okay, well, this can kind of help me shape this whole story and then make, make it make sense in the way that I am unrolling it, I guess. Well, and it's a creative way to tell her backstory because you, as a reader, you need to know more about Evie to like her, to identify with her, to understand what she's doing. Yes. And then it was also a way to, you know, bring other characters in that played important roles at at the end that wouldn't have been there otherwise without giving too much away. (laughs) You know, they, you know, I I didn't just want to tell the reader about them. I wanted the reader to meet them. And that was really kind of the best way to do that as well. Oh, that makes sense. I hadn't thought about that part of it. So your characters are morally gray. (laughs) Yes. Even though I still did root for them. So creating morally gray characters, what was that like? I mean, I think everybody's morally gray in some way. It's just sort of where do you fall on that spectrum, right? I mean, nobody's perfect. And then maybe even the not great people still maybe have a great quality down deep. Maybe it's buried. I don't know. I just, I think it's fun to to show that, I don't know, that range that it's it's not always great and it's not always bad. And sometimes it's just somewhere in the middle. I guess that's right. But I do think some characters are more comfortable bending the rules. And I think several of them are here, but they're still very likable. And you don't always see that. I mean, a lot of times you have a morally gray character and you're kind of like, ugh, and it's frustrating. You can't identify with them and, and you don't really like them. But I don't feel like that Evie is that way at all. And you, you do understand through the flashbacks where she's coming from, but you root for her. And I just was kind of curious about that. Well, I think she is okay that she is morally gray. Like she's okay with, with what she does and why she does it. And I think she has her own moral code, even if it wouldn't match up with most people's moral code, you know, there's some things she's not going to do. Um, other things, like you said, she does feel comfortable doing, even if most of us wouldn't. And I, I think she just owns it. She just owns who she is. Was it fun writing someone like that? Oh, for sure. Because then you sort of just kind of, you're wide open. Like, where, where are we going? What can we do with this? I mean, it's fun. And you're doing things that you yourself might not do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, yes, for sure. Did you have any inspiration for Evie Porter? I, you know, I love a, I love a good con artist story. I, there was a book that I read back in high school and I'm going to age myself. It was If Tomorrow Comes by Sidney Sheldon. And I've not reread it since then because I don't know if, I don't know if I would still like it the way I liked it back then. And I don't know how well it aged, but 
it was the first time, and it was about a con artist, but it was the first time that I ever read a book that I didn't see the plot twist coming like at all. Like it threw me. And I was kind of part like in awe and also kind of mad, like, you know, like, oh my God, how did I not see that? But I, I loved that feeling. And I think that's sort of where my own love of, you know, mysteries and thrillers with good plot twists was born, was reading that. But, you know, that main character was a, was a con artist. And so that show was kind of stuck with me. And then, you know, I loved Alias, you know, Sydney Bristow character, um, one of my favorite shows. I just thought it was smart and so well done. And I just, I really loved it. And so I think, you know, just a general love of that kind of story and that kind of character. And I think Evie is kind of bits and pieces of, of all of those things. I loved Alias as well. Such a good show. Oh gosh, it was, it was great. It was great. And then you have like the fun con artists like Heartbreakers with that Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Like, I mean, it was just over the top and hysterical and fun and, you know, still con artists. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, deep and dark and miserable. It can be lighthearted and fun. And I don't know. I just, I love, I think all of that played into who Evie is. What is it about con artist stories that appeal to people, do you think? I don't know. Maybe it's because they're clever or I don't, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I love them, but I don't know the answer to that. I'm always curious because there are certain types of genres or tropes or things that people just gravitate toward. And I feel like this is one of them. Yeah. Or like Ocean's Eleven. Like, mm -hmm. I love those. And it's, you know, they're, again, they're a little bit over the top, maybe a little bit ridiculous and hard to believe in parts. But again, like you're rooting for them and they're, they're criminals. It's one of those crimes, I guess, that is maybe equally fascinating as it is, you know, entertaining. I don't know. Well, and I think it depends on who's targeted as well, because I think if you're viewing the characters as kind of these Robin Hood type people that are righting wrongs or leveling the playing field, you're going to be much more likely to root for them than people that are taking advantage of old people and things like that. Absolutely. I definitely do think that makes makes a big difference. And I think that sort of plays into, you know, where Evie's own sort of morality was of the things she was willing and not willing to do. That's exactly what I was thinking about her as I was reading, was that she does have her own moral code and there are certain things she's willing to do and certain things she isn't. And a lot of what she's doing is taking care of some things that, that should be addressed. Yes, absolutely. Well, what kind of research did you do? Well, so yeah, there's a football aspect to it. Again, I won't go into too much of that, but um, I love football and love to watch football. I have three sons and you know, it was kind of something we could do together when they were growing up. And I thought God would be so fun to kind of dabble into that world if I could. And what kind of, what kind of con could I do there? And so I, I did a lot of deep dives there. That was fascinating to me. So, you know, a lot about that. And then just technology is so crazy now, what can be done and, and, you know, how it can be used against you and how it can help you or work against you if you're trying to, you know, do something bad or not do something bad. So probably a lot of that kind of stuff as well. What about the way that Evie communicates with her handler, Mr. Smith? Was that something that took a lot of work? That was, you know, I try to think, okay, she's not going to want to, you know, leave any trace behind. So how would you do that? And there's a another character in there without giving anything away, you know, that she also communicates with through a social media account. And, you know, I, I kind of thought about that. And then I was like, I called one of my friends up. I was like, hey, I need to test this and see if it works. And so I was like, go on Instagram and I want you to like this account. And then I'm going to like it. And then I want you to comment on it. And then when I scroll, I want to see if I can see your comment, you know, will it be highlighted, you know, with the thousands of other comments that are there. 
you know, because I think this will work, but I don't know if this will work. And sure enough, it worked. I was like, okay, well, great, that worked. And so, you know, it was a kind of a lot of trial and error. That was so clever. I had actually forgotten about that till you mentioned it. I loved that. In fact, I want to tell my daughters about it because they're big Instagram people. And I just thought that was such a clever way for her to communicate with this other person who will not be named. But (laughs) what a great way to do it in this day and age. I, I just loved that. So I'm amazed you thought that up yourself. Well, I was I was scrolling through and I it was some I cannot remember what the account was now, but it was, you know, some brand or some big account with thousands and thousands of likes and hundreds of comments. But as I was scrolling, I saw a friend of mine had left a comment and I and it was just, you know, it was sort of, you know, right under the caption for me to see. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I can see her comment. But then I was like, Oh, it's probably because I, you know, we're friends on this, you know, social media. And so that's it was only because I saw that that I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I'm like, how can I use that? Yeah. So because, you know, the one that people have used forever is the email account where it sits in drafts. And I was like, okay, like that needs to be retired and using something (laughs) else. So I was just glad you used something that was more updated and that I hadn't seen before. Yes. So yeah, it was fun. Uh, So I did test it. It does work. (laughs) So that was fun. Well, it does make sense because I see people I'm connected with when they comment on other accounts, even if there are a hundred comments or a thousand comments, the people that I am connected with pop to the top. So you're right. You actually do see that quicker than you'd think. Yes. So, and I thought, well, if you're only following, you know, a couple dozen, it's not like you have this huge feed that you're trying to get through. Obviously, any kind of thriller mystery like this, there is some suspense of the disbelief or whatever, but I felt like this actually would work. You know, it didn't take too much suspension there to get there. Exactly. No, I thought it was great. Thank you. So you mentioned this earlier, but this is your adult debut. You've written YA. What's it been like switching to adult? Or I don't know if you're switching, but adding in adult. It's been fun. Kind of 10 years into the YA world and, you know, love that and love that audience and everything about that. And and I didn't really set out to be like, okay, now let me go write an adult book. Like I said, I just had that scene in my head and I started writing it. And once I did, I was like, well, well, this is different. I mean, this, these are not teenagers. This is definitely adult. And I'm just going to go with it. You know, it's kind of the same thoughts that I had when I had written my first four thriller, you know, YA books and then had an idea for a rom-com. It's like, well, I mean, can I do that? I mean, can I just switch? I mean, can I write something that's funny? I don't know. And so I thought, well, let me just let me just go for it. And it was exciting because it was something new. You know, it also came with, you know, I got a new agent, I had a new editor, I had a new publisher. And so it was exciting. It was like fun and exciting and kind of a breath of fresh air. I was going to ask you how your agent responded. So you got a new agent to deal with an adult book. I did. I had been with an agency, you know, since the beginning of my YA career that that dealt mainly for YA. And then my individual agent was also retiring at the time. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to start over somewhere fresh, I just want to be 100% fresh. And so I wanted an agent, an agency that was, you know, firmly in that adult world going forward. And so I went back to querying agents and it was still horrible. It's still a horrible process. But, you know, at least this time I had some writer friends and I had gotten some referrals and, you know, the agent that I ended up signing with, you know, was is also the agent for a, another author that I've known in the Y world that has also now moved into adult. And it was just meant to be. I mean, she loved the book when she read it and could not be a bigger supporter of mine. That's great because it is important who your agent is. And so if you were dealing with an agency that was mainly YA, they're not going to have all the contacts at publishing houses for adult books. So it makes sense 
And it sounds like with the retiring, all of that worked well. No, I agree. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm really going to try to do this and I'm really going to try to, you know, move into a whole new market, I don't want to make it any harder on myself than it, than it already will be. Yes. And if you're going to keep writing adult books, then yes, you definitely want to be positioned correctly. Yes, absolutely. And, and I've got some ideas and I'm kind of thinking those three right now and maybe starting some of that. And I plan on staying in the adult market and let's see where we go with this. Exactly. Well, I feel like that your book has been advertised for many months that I have seen it everywhere. So I, I have no doubt it's going to do quite well. Well, thank you. Yes, it's. I feel like it's been like forever because we did announce it a while back. And, and now that we're finally here now, I'm like, oh my God, we're here. But I'm like, but anyway, it's kind of a hurry up, hurry up, wait, and now hurry up again. It's crazy business. Yes. And coming out right after the holidays as well, that you're just trying yes. to kind of make sure you get everything done before the holidays so that you're ready to go on January 2nd. Yes. Yes. Well, and you have exciting screen adaptation news, right? Yes. Yes. Do you want to tell me more about that? Yeah. You know, the writer strike and the actor strike, you know, obviously made everything, you know, hit pause for a while. And so now that that's kind of done and everybody's getting ramped back up, you know, everybody's trying to get their stuff going again. And so I'm not 100% sure where we are on that front because everybody, like I said, is trying to get their stuff moving. I do know that the producers that are involved are still very, very enthusiastic. You know, I've heard from them and they just, you know, seem to be like, let's go, let's go, which is great. I have read the screenplay for the pilot, which is fantastic. You know, it's always so hard to read the adaptation of your own work because, you know, you're obviously like every single thing should be in there and it should be exactly the way I did it. But Krista Varnoff has done an amazing, amazing job and elevated it for television in a way that is just, it's phenomenal. So I could not be happier with that. And Octavia Spencer is involved as well. I was like, oh my gosh. She is just lovely. I cannot even tell you. Her whole team is lovely. And she is, I mean, they'll call, it's funny because I'm like, they'll, y'all look at my phone. I'll be like in the middle of Target. I'm like, oh gosh. And yeah, I'm like, let me sprint outside real quick. And just lovely, lovely. You're like, pardon me, everybody. Octavia Spencer's calling me. I have an important (laughs) call to take. Please watch my basket. I'll be right back. Exactly. I promise. (laughs) Yes. Wow, that is so exciting. And I think this story really lends itself to that. So I will be curious to see it. It's been so fun to see some of these recent adaptations like Lessons in Chemistry and Silo. And yes. they've been so well done. So I, I'm excited for yours already. Yeah, it is. It's it's exciting. It's, you know, it's a little scary, but fun. And, you know, it's one of those things that, well, you know, I trust the people who, you know, have taken it on and I, they're going to do a great job. I'm excited. Yes, absolutely. Well, tell me about the title and the cover. I really love the cover. I love the cover too. They killed it with that. Um, it was literally like the first thing they showed me. And I was like, uh, no notes. It looks great. Let's go. Um, the colors, I think it really pops. So I'm very, very happy with the cover. And the title is interesting story. So when I was, you know, when I was writing it and everybody's a liar and lying and titles are so hard. And I do think titles are so important. I think it's as important as the cover is. And so, you know, I start Googling things like, you know, sayings with the word lie in it and whatever, trying to get some sort of inspiration. And then I ran across this article and it was was talking about the show Catherine the Great. And I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't, but I know what you're talking about. Yes. And I haven't either. I just read this article and then it was 
talking about how there was this really horrible rumor about her. And I'll let you Google that so you see what I'm talking about. There was a really horrible rumor about her and she sort of fought that rumor, you know, the rest of her life. And it was just always considered to be a truth and it wasn't. And in the article, I think something somebody in the show or something said, you know, that first lie wins. You can't beat that first lie. You're always, you know, something to that effect. I was like, oh gosh, I mean, I love the idea that I love the thought about that. Like you come out strong enough and confident enough and you say it with such conviction, you know, people just believe it. And then it's harder to disprove than it would be to prove it. And so it just sort of stuck with me. Well, I love that. And I felt you really incorporated that well into the story. I enjoy hearing how you learned about it and then decided that it would work for your book because it fits in quite well. Well, but it's also kind of the same thing on social media. I mean, just... I was just thinking that. You have a very loud voice that says something that's not true, but people believe it because they believe that loud voice. And then you're forever trying to be like, well, that's not really true, you know, and it doesn't matter because they said it out loud with conviction. I agree. Not only social media, but it is definitely prevalent there. But in politics, I mean, that is where I think there's so much trouble with that as well. And you're right. Trying to disprove it is virtually impossible. It is. It's, well, they said it. Well, okay, well, they're lying. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's that same idea. And so... And I think that's sort of the basis for a good con is like, how convincing are you when you say the things you say? Exactly. From the beginning. From the beginning. I mean, just have to own it. I mean, just own it. Well, before we wrap up, Ashley, what have you read recently that you really liked? I I was thinking about this because somebody had asked me this the other day, but I have read um, All Sinners Bleed, All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby and really anything he writes, I think is fascinating. I love his stuff. And then I've also just finished the None of This is True by Lisa Jewell, which is amazing amazing. And then I'm lucky enough to be critique partners with Megan Miranda and El Casamano. And so I get to read the things that they're working on that are not out yet. And so, you know, it's always so fun to get a sneak peek at their stuff, but they've both got books coming out soon that are incredible. Oh, that's so fun. I've interviewed Megan. I really like her. I've interviewed her for the main show and for my Patreon group because she and Wendy Walker did this really fun conversation where they talked about thrillers and the genre itself and just kind of what they're looking for when they're writing. And it was fascinating. She is delightful. She is. Well, Megan, Elle, and I all started out in YA with the same YA agent. And our agent asked us, did we have critique partners? And we were all like, no, not really. This was like maybe 2011. And so she introduced us all by email. And so we started sharing our work back then. And then we would, I think the first time that we all, now I think Megan and Elle had met in person somewhere else. The first time I met them in person was at Y'all Fest in Charleston, maybe 2013 or 2014. And then, you know, since then, we try to get together, I don't know, two or three times a year or at least twice. We try for at least twice. If we're lucky if it's three, but we talk all the time and it's just, it's been a great relationship for me. I really enjoy learning those connections in the book world because there are so many kind of behind the scenes and when I interview authors and I learn how people connect up, it's a ton of fun. It is. And, you know, we say all the time that, you know, I don't know that I would keep writing, you know, as much as I have if I didn't have that support. Because in my everyday life, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't come in contact I'm with any writers and I don't really know any in my day to day. And so it's nice to have, have those relationships. Most definitely, because it is a more solitary profession. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Ashley. As you can tell, I absolutely loved your book and I cannot wait for it to make its way out into the world. I've already been recommending it so many people. I'm like, just get it on your list. 
The perfect time to read new books is right after the holidays. You have more time. Get ready. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I have so enjoyed talking to you today. I've enjoyed chatting with you too. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.